Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio. I am Brian Hefty, live in the Morton studio. Today on the show, we're going to talk a little about foliar wheat diseases, but we are going to get into your calls and questions as well. If you've got any questions for us, you can certainly email us, radio at agphd.com. We will get to the Ag PhD mailbag shortly. Or you can call into the show. Phone lines will be open throughout the show, 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. All right, so when we start talking about foliar wheat diseases, or quite frankly, foliar diseases in any crop, here's the thing that I hate about it. And <laughs> a lot of times I, I, I start things that way with, well, here's what I hate about this or that. As a farmer or as an agronomist, this disease thing is really tough. Here's why. A lot of times we talk about scouting for insects. When you go out to your field and you find a few insects, then you just have to try to determine, all right, do I have enough there to justify the spraying? Is my return on investment going to be greater than what my investment is? So, That seems pretty simple. You go, you spray the killed bug, you see the dead bug the next day. Awesome. You did your job. Same thing with weeds. And now granted, I like pre-emerge herbicides. I really like to start clean and stay clean for a long time. But you can go out in a lot of crops, you can scout for weeds. And if they're still small and there aren't too many of them, then you haven't lost much yield yet. So you can go out, you can spray, you can kill the weeds, you can go out a few days later and see, oh, great, I killed the weeds. This is awesome. The problem with this disease thing is you can spray a fungicide and it's not really going to recover any lost yield, number one. And number two, it may or may not stop a disease once it's already gotten started. Now, it might stop it at that point, but you've already lost a bunch of yield in a lot of cases. So here's what we almost always will tell you with diseases. It's almost impossible to go scout for a disease, spray it once you see it, and you've still maximized yield. In a lot of cases, by the time you see it, severe damage has already been done in the field. So that's the real problem. And there's also this issue of, all right, well, am I looking at a fungal disease that I could control? Am I looking at a bacterial disease? Am I just looking at wind damage or hail damage or rain damage? Am I looking at something that's going on in the plant that's maybe caused by poor drainage? Maybe it's caused by lack of nutrition. So when we start talking about foliar disease in general, it's hard to get this thing under control and know when to spray and when not to spray. So Yeah, it's a real challenge. We're going to talk about this throughout the show today, but I would just encourage you, here are the things that you got to think about. Number one, do I have a crop that is sensitive to diseases that can hit in my area? So for example, like corn, one of the worst diseases we see is gray leaf spot. Well, there's some areas of the United States and Canada that don't ever get any gray leaf spots. Are we worried about that? Typically, no. Uh, But on the other hand, if you're in an area that can get this horrible disease in corn, you got to pay attention and you got to be thinking, all right, do I have the weather that's conducive for that? And do I have a history of that in my field? And then the other thing is, all right, what's my cost versus what's my potential return? So this is one of the things that a lot of us get to some degree as farmers tricked into thinking, oh, uh, our margins have tightened up. And so we really have to cut costs. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying we don't want to make money. We do. 
We just want to make more money, and that's the whole thing. So a lot of people think, oh, I'm going to cut costs, and I'm going to make more money that way. But here's where I'm going with this. I, I think an awful lot about the fall of 2005. Now, for every farmer, they probably will refer to some year as that pivotal year. For my dad, it was 1976. It was the worst drought that we'd ever experienced in our state, even worse than the, than, than the 1930s. And so he talked about that all the time, basically after 1976, for all the rest of the years he was alive. That was his year. There are a lot of other years that you know farmers will refer to. Well, I refer to the fall of 2005, and here's why. Because in my career as a farmer and as an agronomist over the last 30 years, that was the lowest commodity price that I've ever seen. Dollar and 30 cent corn. That's what we had locally here, a dollar and 30 cent corn. And I remember exactly what it was, by the way, because I was so mad about it. <laughs> I said, I am not selling one bushel of corn for a dollar and 30 cents. I'll burn it up before I sell it for a dollar and 30 cents. So I bought a corn furnace and I started heating my house with corn, and it was like one sixth the cost to heat it with propane. Or I mean, the corn was one sixth the cost of the propane to heat my house. But anyway, where I'm going with all this is back in 2005, in the fall, a dollar and 30 cent corn, you go, man, I'd have to have a lot of bushels to make anything pay. It's just like when the wheat price was really cheap, I'd have to have a lot of bushels to make anything pay. Well, today, when we're looking at high commodity prices, like today, our topic is foliar wheat diseases, it doesn't take many bushels to make a treatment pay. And I think about this. I can go spray a good half rate of fungicide early when the plant is small. And so let me let me say this. Half rates when plants are big, that's a bad idea. But when plants are small, that's a great idea. Because in a lot of cases, we're just simply talking about the dose based on how big the plant is. It's just like I talk about medicine all the time, the adult dose for the, versus the kid dose. Same thing for your plants. If you're looking at a fungicide, which is basically medicine for the plant. You want, when you've got a big plant, a fully grown plant, to give it the adult dose, give it the full dose. But when the plant is really small, you give it the kid dose, which is usually, we're talking half rate. And in some cases, products are labeled even at that, what we call half rate. Like, look at Nexacor. That's one of the products I love early on for wheat diseases. And there is a labeled lower rate when the plant is small. But anyway, where I'm going with this is, what are you going to spend? Five, six bucks on that fungicide? Well, when the price of wheat is more than that, you only need a bushel back? I, I mean, it's whole different than back a few years ago when fungicide prices were higher and commodity prices were way lower. And now all of a sudden I might have had to have three bushels to make something like that pay. Now I have to have less than one bushel to make it pay. So I'm just saying cutting costs is great. But first, before you cut anything, look at what are your odds that that thing can make you money. And the last thing you want to do is cut anything that's making you money. So we'll talk today whether or not what your maybe odds are that a foliar fungicide could pay. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. The first name and last word in weed control in heavier, higher organic soil types is Authority Edge herbicide from FMC. This proprietary combination of actives outperforms the competition, delivering up to 14 more days of residual control. Visit your FMC retailer or ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label directions. Authority Edge herbicide may not be registered for sale or use in all states. 
Introducing Kyber Soybean Herbicide from Corteva AgriScience, the newest Premium Group 15 pre-emergent solution. Kyber delivers three effective modes of action for long-lasting residual activity, meaning your fields won't just be clean, they'll be Kyber clean. And what is Kyber clean? Well, it's a little like... Nice fields! See the difference at kyberherbicide.com soy. That's K-Y-B-E-R herbicide.com soy. One of the most important things you can do for your farm is improving drainage. Hi, I'm Darren Hefty. On Monday, January 31st, we're hosting a free Ag PhD tiling clinic in the Morton Center on our farm near Baltic, South Dakota. Whether you've been tiling for years or you're looking to plan your first project, you won't want to miss this event. We have a whole host of information for you, including a legal session with the country's top drainage lawyers, as well as presentations on tile design, lift stations, NRCS guidelines, and ways to approach neighbors and landlords about tiling issues. For more details and to register, go to agphd.com. Boost your productivity and profitability with Soil Warrior from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and your yield potential in just one strip-till pass. Now that's ROI. Contact us today at SoilWarrior.com. Conditioning low-moisture beans to 13% can add semi-loads to your bottom line. And with our 13 for 13 year-end special, make 13% beans possible with 13% off an end-zone bin system. Use promo code 13 for 13 at farmshopmfg.com. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. Brian Hefty here, live in the Morton studio. Today in the show, we're talking about foliar wheat diseases. If you've got a question for us, just uh, give us a call here, 844-44-AG-PHD. If there's anything you'd like to talk about that's going on in your farm, be happy to visit with you about that. Again, that number is 844-442-4743. Well, first on the show today, we got Bruce Stewart with us. He is with FMC down in Oklahoma. Bruce, how are you today? Hey, doing good. I'm actually up in Kansas today. It's about 8 degrees last night, so pretty chilly up here. Uh, yeah, not a whole lot different where we farm in South Dakota. Got really cold. And now it's been a fantastic fall, but I often tell people I really like it when it gets unbelievably cold in the winter. Now, granted, I hope I'm on vacation then or something, but I want to kill a lot of these diseases. I, I assume, like for you, when you're down in Oklahoma, you have to deal with a little bit more disease maybe because the weather is warmer and you don't kill as much off over the course of the winter? Uh, yeah, you know, we do have more, uh, sometimes more rainfall and depending on what kind of part of the, the state, but, uh, you know, it kind of depends what time of year, uh, you know, tan spot, septoria, leaf blotch and powdery mildew kind of overwinter here during the winter. Uh, and then, uh, we get the stripe rust and leaf rust and stem rust that may blow up from the South. So kind of depends a little bit on the time of the year and, some of our environmental conditions do make it pretty conducive for uh, diseases to to grow. All right. So you said you're in Kansas now. Are, do you see a whole lot of difference between the farmers you work with and, and agronomists you work with in Kansas versus Oklahoma in terms of spraying foliar uh, for foliar wheat diseases? No, I'd say they're pretty similar. You know, they pretty much have the same uh, diseases. You know, stripe rust is probably our most important disease both in Kansas and Oklahoma. Uh, it really is probably the most economically uh, damaging and one that can really flourish well. And then, you know, tan spot and septoria really seem to get started in, uh, you know, in the young uh, uh, wheat that's growing right now. And, 
you know, you really, I was listening just a little bit ago about, you know, we call it a green up application, kind of when uh, growers making a, a herbicide application, maybe yep. in February, March or April and come in with the fungicide there at some, uh, oftentimes it is a little bit lower reduced rate, but you kind of knock that inoculate, inoculation or inoculum down and it can kind of set you up for a better, uh, you know, yield potential uh, there and, and before you make your flag leaf application. So it's a, yeah, it's a good approach. All right. So let's come back to that stripe rust that you mentioned, because for many growers, this is a newer disease that it has just shown up on their farm, and it is a terrible one because we found a lot of yield loss. What are you finding in that region of the country for your best timing? You mentioned flag leaf. Is that when you usually spray for for stripe rust? Uh, yes, that's you know we've I guess research has shown that about seventy to ninety percent of your yield, uh, if you can protect that flag leaf, uh, come comes from that. If you can keep that flag leaf clean, and so it's a real important uh, stage to protect and and one that we really focus on. I mean, the green up application is important, but if I had to make this one application of flag leaf, when that, uh, uh, you know, is exposed, you want to protect it. And stripe rust, uh, you know, blows up from more of the south and and, uh, and it can come in fields that are, you know, wheat on wheat for year after year. That can sometimes uh, cause the inoculum to be higher too. But. Now, I agree with you, spraying at flag leaf is a good timing, and I, I fairly consistently see that's the best timing for getting the most yield response. But like in our region of the country, that's when I see the fewest number of farmers spray. Because a lot of guys go, well, I'm out there anyway spraying herbicide, so I'm going to spray early. And then when it gets to flag leaf, they go, well, it's so close to heading. I think I'm just going to wait until heading because then I can hopefully stop any fusarium head blight as well. So let's say that a farmer skips the flag leaf operation, waits a couple, three weeks until heading. What kind of yield loss do you usually see there? I mean, I assume you're seeing, like you said, better response at flag leaf than heading, but just talk to us a little about that in your region of the country. Yeah, here in Kansas and Oklahoma, I mean, I've, if I had to look, kind of break it up, I would say, a, you know, a green up application can sometimes bring somewhere between five to 10 bushels an acre increase. And, uh, and then the flag leaf could probably potentially bring 15 to 20. And I've seen up to 30, depending on what fungicide you use. Uh, now, if you use both of them together, uh, kind of that green up and flag leaf, I mean, you can oftentimes increase your yields by 30 bushels, if, if not more. Uh, so they're uh, per, both of them are pretty important. And I think uh, university and and uh, growers here are starting to see the importance of, of both uh, of those applications. Yeah, I was talking just a little bit earlier in the show about one of my biggest fears this year is people look at their costs, especially their fertilizer costs, and they go, well, I got to figure out a way to cut costs. So maybe they might consider cutting one application of fungicide. Now, in certain cases, I don't have a big problem with that. But like you say, in wheat, I think the biggest issue that I see is a lot of these varieties just aren't super disease tolerant. So we are getting some pretty big yield increases. 
out of a fungicide application. And this year, as good as the wheat price is, I'm going to be surprised in a lot of cases if uh, we aren't able to double, triple, quadruple, and then some our money. So why would we cut things like that? I, have you run into a lot of people talking about that yet here this fall saying, I got to cut somewhere and maybe I'll cut a fungicide app? Well, I think, uh, you know, I think the tide's turning. I think they're starting to see the value of a fungicide application. You know, there's been some uh, work done at Oklahoma State um, that they've shown on 55 different varieties in one location. If they use a flag leaf application over those 55 different varieties, they had a 17 bushel increase. And then, then another trial, if they over, I think it was 50 bush or 50 varieties, that they used a green up and a flag, they had a 20 bushel increase. And this is over all of these different varieties, uh, tolerant, susceptible. And, uh, I, I, you know, in Kansas has also done a, a survey showing that 27 million bushels were lost in 2020 from diseases and stripe rust was leading that. So, mm-hmm. uh, it, yeah, to me, boy, it, to not spray your wheat with a fungicide at flag or, or green up, you're really just letting some dollars, uh, you know, just go. So it's uh, all right. Hopefully, at, yeah, I, yeah, I'm I'm hoping that people aren't cutting something that's potentially going to make them really good money. Uh, just real quick, Bruce, we got a little over a minute left. I I wanted to know what. FMC fungicide or fungicides are you usually talking to farmers about in your region of the country on wheat? Well, we've got a program called Top Guard 5 on 5, and Top Guard is, uh, contains a triazole chemistry, flutriophol, tri- tri- and it's the most systemic and kind of longest lasting of that chemistry. So we, we say 5 on 5 because we're going to put 5 ounces on it, flag, and then, or at green up, and then 5 ounces at flag. And uh, we've seen, you know, 15 to 20 bushel increase. And if you have a real susceptible or a real, uh, con- real conducive conditions for disease development, then that flag leaf application, we have a product called Top Guard EQ, and it goes out at five ounces, and it contains flutriophol and azoxystrobin. So, um, and we've seen up to not on just one trial, but a summary of, you know, trials in Oklahoma for the last two or three years providing up to 30 bushels. So, Seven dollar wheat times thirty dollars, you know, or thirty bushels. That's two hundred and ten dollar. Uh, you know, that's uh, kind of easy math even for this Oklahoma. Kid. <laughs> yeah, ten to one or fifteen to one on your money sounds like a good ROI to me. Uh, we've been talking to Bruce Stewart. He's with FMC down in Oklahoma, but he was in Kansas today calling us. We appreciate the call today, Bruce. Thanks a lot for your time. Great information. Hey, thanks for having me. You See bet. You. All right, throughout the show today, we'll talk about foliar wheat diseases. We are going to get to some of your questions that have been coming in in the Ag PhD mailbag. I have an enormous stack of questions here. I'm going to try to get through as many as I can a little bit later today. Lots of questions about soil fertility, and that's one of the things, too. When we talk about disease in general, the better job you do with soil fertility, then the hopefully, at least, the less disease you'll have. So... Anyway, those things absolutely go hand in hand. We'll talk about that a little bit more as the show continues. Stay tuned. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Looking to upgrade your productivity now and take control of your cash flow next season? 
Check out Can Do Financing on Case IH tractors and hay tools today. Discover amazing rates on the remarkably versatile Farmall, premium comfort Vestrum, and versatile workhorse Maxim tractors. Plus, save on high-capacity round balers and disc mower conditioners. Make this season your most productive yet. When it comes to weed control, our cards have always been on the table because we believe you deserve near-zero volatility, flexible tank mixing, and a wide application window. That's the Enlist Weed Control System, just better with no ifs, ands, or buts. Discover better weed control. Enlist.com. Enlist.com. How do you make 300 bushel corn on your farm? Hi, I'm Darren Hefty. On Tuesday, February 1st, we're going to answer that question at a free Ag PhD corn agronomy workshop at the Morton Center near Baltic, South Dakota. We'll talk about water management, fertility needs, finding success in cold soils, and we'll discuss how to protect your corn crop from weeds, insects, and diseases that rob yield potential. If you want a roadmap to 300 bushel corn and beyond, don't miss the free Ag PhD Corn Agronomy Workshop. Register now at agphd.com. While you're there, check out the other Ag PhD events that we have coming up in January and February, including agronomy workshops in soybeans and wheat, a tiling clinic, two days dedicated to soils, plus a whole day devoted to natural and biological products. There's a lot of great information that we can't wait to share with you. To learn more about these events and register, go to agphd.com. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. Morton Buildings knows that great buildings need great people, and we want you to be the newest member of our team. Morton is expanding its construction crew, and we're seeking new and experienced candidates to fill our crew member positions. Morton provides great pay and training, so be a part of the next generation to build Morton. Don't let the opportunity to join the best construction crew in the business pass you by. Learn more on our careers page at mortonbuildings.com. Thanks for listening today to Ag PhD Radio. I'm Brian Hefty. We're broadcasting from the Morton studio today, just talking a little about foliar wheat diseases. Next on the show, we've got Stephen Wegulo. He's with University of Nebraska-Lincoln as an extension plant pathologist. Stephen, how are you today? I'm doing fine. How are you doing? Excellent. All right, so we're talking foliar wheat diseases today. Which ones in your state of Nebraska, which may be two or three, are the worst ones that you would fight in wheat? Well, um, I would say uh, stripe rust, um, leaf rust, and then uh, we have a couple of uh, uh, fungal leaf spot, uh, tan spot, and septoria leaf blotch. Those are the, the, the most common ones that cause significant uh, uh, yield loss uh, here in Nebraska. 
All right, so we've talked about three different spray timings so far. Uh, one at herbicide timing or green up, like if it's coming out of uh, or if it's winter wheat, and then at flag leaf and then at heading. So with these diseases, the tan spot we're probably going to see early in the season. The, the rust we're going to see a little bit later in the season. Uh, and, and then how about the leaf blotch? When do you typically see that worst? Uh, the the uh, septoria leaf blotch actually uh, appears about the same time as tan spot. So um, when when the lesions are young, when they're just starting, it's uh, it's not easy to differentiate tan spot from septoria uh, until the you know the, the lesions have grown and covered uh, you know large portions of the leaves of the lower leaves. That, you know they start in the lower leaves. So. The timing for septoria and transport would be similar. Uh, if you go in with that herbicide, it helps to uh, to, to stop them, uh, you know, during the early season. Uh, so uh, again, as you say, the you know the rusts will come later on, uh, and those are the ones that we really uh, recommend timing to protect the flag leaf. I'm sure you're talking to farmers and agronomists on a fairly regular basis. What are the top couple of questions that they usually have for you about foliar wheat diseases? Uh, usually, it's, uh, when do I uh, when do I apply <laughs> a fungicide yep. to to yep, to, to to protect uh, you know the wheat crop? Uh, and then another common question is, you know, what uh, am I getting back in terms of return in terms of the yield um yep. are these fungicides uh, helping with the yield or not and you know the answers to those questions are for uh for the rust diseases uh, uh stripe rust and leaf rust the fungicide timing is you time to protect the flag leaf and then for the leaf spot septoria and tan spot those if you do the herbicide uh, timing uh, earlier, uh, fix five, uh, you know, uh, stem, stem elongation, we call it, fix five to six uh, growth stage, uh, you really help the crop, especially if um, you have uh, wheat residue on the soil surface because the uh, tan spot and uh, septoria fungi uh, survive the winter or, uh, as uh, fruiting bodies on the uh, wheat residue. If you have wheat residue and it's wet early in the spring, you probably will benefit by uh, putting on at that early stage with uh, with the herbicide. Uh, the tan spot can also actually develop uh, at flag leaf. So when you apply at flag leaf, you you protect not only from the rusts but also from those uh, leaf spot diseases, the tan spot and septoria. Yeah, and I'm glad you mentioned the more residue means more disease, basically. And we have farmers really all across the world that are trying to reduce tillage to reduce erosion, save more moisture. I mean, especially coming out of the last couple of years that have been relatively dry. So, yeah, we are in a lot of cases seeing more disease issues out there. Uh, so you mentioned the return on investment question that every farmer is asking you, and there is no one answer. It's going to vary from year to year and, and timing to timing. But what how, I mean, how do you usually answer that question for return on investment for the different timings that you've got? You said flag leaf was good. Herbicide timing is usually good, right? Yeah, it, it's good. It's good. It's more um, from the 
fungicide trials that we have done here in Nebraska, it's much easier to uh, to differentiate uh, or estimate the yield benefit uh, from the flag leaf application. Uh, on the herbicide timing, it's really very early, and a lot of other things come in in between yeah. uh, between that herbicide timing and harvest that. Uh, it, it's uh, if you try to, to to calculate the benefit from the fungicide, uh, it, it's kind of uh, not very clear. Uh, but with the flag leaf timing, uh, the it, it, we have seen very uh, distinct advantage or benefit if the uh, the growing season is favorable for diseases. So one of the uh, years that I got some very good data was 2007 uh, when we had a lot of rain and some folks may not remember because it has been a while but in that year we sprayed uh, and our, our treatments we timed um, uh, a little before flag leaf and then flag leaf and the flag leaf uh, uh, treatments actually uh, increased yield by about 50 percent over the uh, uh, untreated control. Yeah, uh, a 50 percent yield gain's got to excite you a lot. Uh, that, you that mentioned. Was, and, go that, ahead. That, yeah, again, I just want to caution. That's in uh, research plots, which are small plots. So, if but, you extrapolate to an entire field, it may be very different. <laughs> for the for the growers' field, I would say you are talking in terms of about uh, 15 to 20 percent yield benefit. Well, you said, too, 2007 was a wet year. That's exactly what we saw in years 2018 and 2019 in our region of the country when we were unbelievably wet, double normal rainfall, fungicide paid on everything, multiple applications of fungicide paid. It was unbelievable. So how about in a dry year? Like each of the last two years, well, especially this this year of 2021, was really dry. What did it look like for treatments this year in a dry year? Yeah, so in a dry year, we usually, uh, uh, you know, recommend that you you be cautious and if uh, just count and if the, the disease, if if disease is very low, uh, you really get a very little benefit or no benefit. So f- from that 2007 uh, study that I mentioned, we went. So I had done the exact same study in. 2006, which was very dry. And so I was lucky to get data from the two years. And what I did is I did an economic analysis from 2006 and 2007. And in 2006, when it was dry, the benefit was very little or it was in some treatments negative benefit. So if it's very dry and there is no disease, uh, you are probably better off not spraying. you really get benefit from spraying only if conditions favor disease development. Yeah, the one thing I know BSF has talked a lot about this is the plant health benefits of some of the strobilurin products like Headline, and we have seen that. So we're in a pretty dry area of the United States, and we're seeing some benefit, especially with the early spray. Do you, do you see much out of the plant health benefits of the strobes? Yeah, the, the, there is some. I've seen some uh, benefit uh, from that plant health effect, and the, what it does too is that it it delays the maturity. Yes. Uh, 
somehow or somewhat delays the maturity and so that longer period when the um, the leaves are, are green it actually helps to photosynthesize more and you, you 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 get some that's how you get the yield benefit so there is some yield benefit but it's not as much as if there was disease and you applied a fungicide. Yep, I agree 100%. All right, we've been talking to Stephen Wegulo. He is with University of Nebraska-Lincoln. Stephen, that was great stuff. Really appreciate having you on the show. No problem. Thanks for having me. You bet. All right, we'll talk a little bit more about foliar wheat diseases coming up right after this, and then we'll get to your questions in the Ag PhD mailbag. Stay tuned. Revitech fungicide from BASF has been specifically developed for the selective soybean grower who doesn't compromise. If you think good is good enough, if you're okay with just achieving rather than overachieving, if average is your goal, this is not the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide, brand new chemistry, three no excuse modes of action, zero modes of compromise. Sounds like the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide from BASF, that's smart. Always read and follow label directions. Precision crop nutrition pays. And AgroLiquid has precisely what it takes to help you succeed. The right products plus the right expertise to give you guidance based on your soils, your fields, and your goals. While our clean, seed-safe formulations and lower application rates make planter fertilizer easier than ever. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. How can you make more profit from your soybeans this year? I'm Darren Hefty. We'll give you the answer to that question at a free Ag PhD Soybean Agronomy Workshop. It's Tuesday, February 15th at the Morton Center near Baltic, South Dakota. We'll dive deep on topics such as pest control, resistance issues, herbicide traits, fertility, cleaning up white mold, and more. If you want to make raising beans more lucrative and fun, you don't want to miss the free Ag PhD Soybean Agronomy Workshop. Learn more at agphd.com. And while you're there, check out the other Ag PhD events we have coming up in January and February, including agronomy workshops in corn and wheat, a tiling clinic, two days dedicated to soils, plus a whole day devoted to natural and biological products. There's a lot of great information here, and we can't wait to share it with you. To learn more about these events and register, go to agphd.com. Are you combining around weed patches, waiting for weeds to dry down, or tired of spring burndown failures? Save time, nutrients, and moisture by including a Valor herbicide brand in your fall burndown program. Valor provides excellent residual control of tough weeds, including kochia, mare's tail, prickly lettuce, dandelion, plus suppression of bromes. Proactive, effective weed resistance management starts in the fall. Get a clean start for your next season with Valor Herbicide Brands. Always read and follow label directions. Do you have crop failures due to flooding, drought, or another event? You may need to consider a better burndown regimen. Adding just two ounces of New Farm Panther SC to your tank mix not only provides faster results, it provides residual that lasts. You gain flexibility to keep your cropping options open. Ask your dealer for Panther SC and get Panther Power in your tank.
back to Ag PhD Radio. I'm Brian Hefty, live in the Morton studio, talking foliar wheat diseases today, just to wrap up that discussion real quick. I would just say there are three main timings that people will talk about. The herbicide timing, uh, so early in the season, and in most cases then, people are using lower rates. Then when we get to flag leaf, that's where we see the fewest number of applications, but typically the most yield response. All depends on the situation, though. And then we've got the heading timing. And for heading treatment, what we're talking about, number one, is fusarium head blight. But at that timing, you might get more rusts in, whether it's stripe rust or common rust. And I mean, there are other diseases that you can get as well at that time. So it's not just fusarium head blight. But I, I would say, number one, you got to look at what's my potential return and what's my total cost? So with that herbicide timing, if you're only going to spend five or six bucks on the fungicide and you're already out there spraying the herbicide anyway, your total cost is five or six bucks. So you need a bushel. Are you going to get a bushel from the early treatment? In almost all cases, I'm going to say yes. When you think about wheat, it's not very tolerant to disease, number one. And number two, just think about that canopy that you've got. Think about how many plants that you seed on a per acre basis. It's way more than what we do for corn or soybeans. And it's just thick with crop there, which means when you go out a lot of times in the spring, you're finding those plants are wet. When the plants are wet in the morning, you have far more chance to have disease than if those plants every morning first thing are bone dry. So that's where we're talking a little bit today, wet year versus dry year. But it's early in the season. That's when we're worried most about those diseases for that herbicide timing, obviously. And the number one factor that I'm looking for is, do I have dew in the morning? If I have dew in the morning, almost every single time I've ever seen it sprayed, it's giving a return on investment. But we we would say this, you've got the opportunity to spray a single mode of action, double mode of action, triple mode of action. What are you going to do? When when we start talking about just disease control in general, we like using more modes of action if and when possible. Uh, so that's why I, I like doing either tank mixes or using premixes, whether it's early in the season or late in the season. The only real big concern that I've got is once we get all the way out to the end, to heading timing, don't use a strobe. If you use a strobilurin product like Headline, Quadris, Aveto, Gem, any of those, you have a much greater risk for Don. Basically, for toxin in your wheat, uh, we just we don't want that. So be careful about what you're doing for a late, very late season timing. When you get to heading, that's usually where we just talk about the trizols and the SDHIs, and that's it. So... The one question that I never asked either of our guests today is, well, which fungicide in particular is going to be better versus competitive treatments? Now, Bruce Stewart with FMC talked about they have TopGuard and TopGuard EQ at FMC, and we like both of those products. But I would say this, the biggest difference is spraying a fungicide versus not spraying a fungicide, not necessarily one fungicide versus the other. But I did mention we do like the strobes. I like the strobes both at that herbicide timing and at flag leaf. You just can't use them at heading timing. But I like those strobes because they give you some plant health benefits. And what I mean by that is you'll find less ethylene production. That's a proven thing when you spray a strobilurin fungicide. And less ethylene production means you have a longer time that the plant is greener. Ethylene speeds 
uh, maturity, basically. And I'm not saying we're going to delay maturity a lot, but the longer we can keep that plant green, the healthier that plant is, and the better chance, and I'm not saying this always happens, but the better chance we have to gain some yield. Uh, the other things that you'll see is you'll have more antioxidants in the plant, so usually that means a healthier plant. And then during the heat of the day, they've documented many, many times cooler temperatures in that canopy when a strobe has been sprayed. For the next two or three weeks after the strobe has been sprayed, they have slightly cooler temperatures in the heat of the day. So all those things are the reasons why the plant health benefits are there. I'm not saying they're enormous, but they are there and it does help a little bit. And I like having those in uh, or having a strobe in or strobilurin product in that tank mix or premix just to get some of that. And then in terms of disease control, we like the triazoles and the SDHIs better. So anyway, uh, a lot of people have talked to me the last few years about, man, uh, tilt or the generic version of tilt is really inexpensive. I'm just going to do that when I'm spraying early and maybe even later because it costs two bucks for a half rate, four bucks for a full rate. Well, this year, you're not going to find a lot of tilt out there. The supply is limited. The price is double what it was last year. So that's one of the things. The second thing I would say is tilt's really old and it's a trizol and it's fine, but it's not everything. If you just compare it to when you start using multiple modes of action, I think you're typically going to be happier using something that's got multiple modes of action or doing some kind of tank mix. So anyway, early on in the year, um, I, I would say use a low rate, use two or three modes of action, make sure you have a strobe in there. Definitely, if you haven't been spraying at Flagleaf, try some Flagleaf applications on your farm. I wouldn't even scout. No point in that. If you've got decent weather conditions and you're you're just concerned that you're going to have some disease issues, at least spray some of your ground. Do some trials, and then you'll find out, hey, is this paying for me or not? That's the only way you're really going to learn. Just make sure you time it right when you when that flag leaf is fully emerged. Get that thing sprayed. And don't say, well, it's only a couple, three weeks until heading. I'll just wait till then. Don't do it. Just try some at flag leaf. Trust me, that's typically when we see the very best yield response. And then spray some at heading. If you haven't done this, at least try some acres. There is really, really inexpensive. So it's old Folicure, and now all they have is generic. But anyway, when you start talking Tebiconazole, it's 2 to $3 an acre for the full rate. Even this year, at most, you'll probably pay $4 an acre for the full rate. So before you say, nope, I'm not going not gonna to treat it all, at least do some of that. So at heading timing, that's a good way to get rust and do okay on Fusarium head blight. If you want to do some of the better products, like let's say it's Prasaro, Caramba, or Miravis Ace, then those are great too at heading. So they're going to get your rust, but then they're even better on Fusarium head blight than old Folicure would be. Cost a little bit more money, yes, but I, I just say this. Everybody... I shouldn't say everybody. Many farmers are talking to me about, oh, costs are so high. Look, it's mainly fertilizer, Roundup, and Liberty. Those three things, yes, I get it. They're all triple in price. But seed prices are about flat from last year. And a lot of chemistry, it's up only a little bit. You're only going to spend 2 to $4 an acre more on most chemistry options, and it might even be less than that. So it's not like it's that big a deal. Just continue to look at what's my potential return. We have good commodity prices. And again, with fungicides, make sure you're spraying before you see a major problem. Here's one last tip I'll leave you with. Whenever you're spraying a fungicide, make sure that you get great spray coverage. 
Fungicides move only in the xylem of the plant, and the xylem only transports things upward. On the other hand, if you spray, let's say it's Roundup or Dicamba, or I mean most herbicides, they move in the phloem of the plant. So they can move downward and upward. It's whole different with these fungicides when they only move up. What, what this means then is if you don't spray the lower leaves, they will not be protected from disease. If you don't spray even the lower portions of individual leaves, they will not be protected from disease. So you want to get as good a coverage as you can. That's why a lot of times you talk about using smaller spray droplets, more water, and maybe a little bit more spray pressure. So the, the better job you can do with coverage, the more response you're going to get out of these fungicides. With timings too, I mean the, the herbicide timing isn't all that critical. Flag leaf timing is very critical. You got to get it pretty early when you see that flag leaf. And then heading timing, you want to have just a little bit of flowering. Not much, but just a little bit of flowering out there. Those are usually the timings that we talk about. Uh, I'm just trying to think of any other tips I could give you on fungicide to make it pay. Um, beyond that, I, I, I just say when you're thinking about fungicides in general, you're going to get a lot of sales pitch from all these different people about, oh, ours is the best and ours is the best. So you can try things out on your farm and prove it to yourself. That's what we typically do, and that's why I still come back to, usually if you're using two or three modes of action, I don't see that much different difference from one fungicide to the next in wheat, but certainly do some experiments on your own farm, and then you can figure it out for yourself moving forward. All right, we're going to get to your questions in the Ag PhD mailbag coming up next. Did you know soybean diseases like white mold and sudden death syndrome can survive in your soil even after rotating crops? Prevention of these diseases is a constant battle and yield loss from an infection can be devastating. The right management plan makes all the difference. Keep your beans safe with Heads Up Seed Treatment. Heads Up guards your seed from both white mold and SDS. Stay protected and profitable by asking your seed dealer for Heads Up. Learn more at HeadsUpST.com. Purchase your dream tractor and save your cash with can-do financing from Case IH. Save on the remarkably versatile Farmall, premium comfort Vestrum, and versatile workhorse Maxim tractors. Plus, discover amazing rates on high-capacity round balers and disc mower conditioners. Upgrade your equipment now and keep your cash flow strong next season. How can natural products help you raise bigger and better crops? I'm Darren Hefty. In recent years, natural products have exploded onto the market claiming to improve soil health and plant development. But what's right for your farm? That's why we're devoting a full day to our first ever Ag PhD Naturals Workshop. It's Wednesday, February 16th at the Morton Center near Baltic, South Dakota. Our research team has spent years testing hundreds of natural products. We want to share with you what we've learned. For more about this free event, go to agphd.com. While you're there, check out other Ag PhD events we have coming up in January and February, including agronomy workshops in corn, soybeans, and wheat, a tiling clinic, two days dedicated to helping you understand soils and making your own fertility recommendations, and much more. There's great information here that we want to share with you. So to learn more about these events and register, go to agphd.com. There's a lot of great information here, and we can't wait to share it all with you. To learn more about these events and register, go to agphd.com. 
It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. Are you combining around weed patches, waiting for weeds to dry down, or tired of spring burndown failures? Save time, nutrients, and moisture by including a Valor herbicide brand in your fall burndown program. Valor provides excellent residual control of tough weeds, including kochia, mare's tail, prickly lettuce, dandelion, plus suppression of bromes. Proactive, effective weed resistance management starts in the fall. Get a clean start for your next season with Valor Herbicide Brands. Always read and follow label directions. Hey everybody, come on in. The Ag PhD Mailbag is about to begin. All right, our first question comes from Lawrence down in Kansas. He said, hi guys, I'm trying to get my field to an optimum fertility, so I've attached some grid samples. Uh, I'm making progress, um, but anyway, he says, based on the latest report, I have just added 200 pounds of manganese sulfate and 3 pounds of actual boron, plus a ton of water treatment lime per acre. I planted some cover crops, but it's been so dry here in Kansas that that's a failure. Anyway, my plans were to plant sorghum next summer, and I'm going to stick with that. However, the soil is warm and dry, perfect for plowing. This has been no-till for 12 years, and I hate to do that, but I'm thinking that all the stuff I've put on is in the top somewhere, and after listening to your discussions, I'm going to get it plowed soon. So my question is, how deep do I plow it? Uh, All right, so Lawrence, let me just say this. Um, You don't have to plow, but here's, here's what I see in your soil tests. You got pretty high levels of phosphorus, and you have pretty high levels of potassium. You also have, in some cases, you know, real good levels of zinc. Those three nutrients don't move very well in the soil, nor does your copper that's also pretty high. So what I would be interested in is doing some tests. Let's call it um, every three inches clear down to maybe nine or 12 inches deep. I mean, how deep can you plow? You could probably go to nine or 12 inches. Just depends on what type of plow we're talking about. Um, Is it going to be worth it for you? I mean, maybe once. That's what we often will say to people who want to no-till. You know, every every once in a while, if you no-tilled for the next 10 years after one year of plowing, you certainly could do that just to mix things up again a little bit. But manganese is somewhat leachable in the soil. Sulfate's real leachable. Boron is pretty pretty leachable. So the the three things you just put on there, oh, and the lime, the calcium will move down a little bit too over time. So with those nutrients in particular that you applied, you don't have to do tillage. It's, again, coming back to the P, the K, the uh, zinc, and the copper. Those are the ones that don't move very well in soil. Uh, and, and by the way, just for our listeners here, so you know what I'm talking about, he's got about 50 parts per million on a P1 uh, Bray phosphorus test. He's at about five percent base saturation K and about 
350 parts per million of K, let's call it. His zinc's around 6 and his copper's around 4. So that's kind of where his levels are at. And the reason why he put the manganese on, it, it's down to 10 parts per million. Boron's at about 0.3 parts per million. And also his sulfur is down around 20. Oh, anyway, the last thing that Lawrence said here is my fertilizer guy had uh, just called me to tell me that he had the manganese sulfate applied. And uh, just as you commented on Ag PhD Radio that the DTPA wasn't a good measure, he agreed with that. Uh, we need to get the labs to have an easy option for that. Yeah, that's why we've been talking about the Malik 3 test a little bit. And that leads me into the next question here. This one is from Doug. He has a couple of questions. Uh, we were talking about the Malik 3 versus the DTPA, and he says, my DTPA shows manganese at 4 to 6 parts per million across 500 acres. Now, I applied 50 pounds of manganese sulfate across the whole farm. Was that a mistake? Uh, my next test will be a Malik 3. I, you know, Doug, honestly, I don't know if it was a mistake or not. I'd like to see the Malik 3 test, and then we'll know. But let's put it this way. The manganese sulfate isn't – you need the sulfur most likely anyway. And in terms of the, the manganese, putting some manganese out there, it's certainly not going to hurt. So I wouldn't get too worried about that. Uh, oh, and uh, a couple other things here. He says – our, our farm and our and neighboring farms have a difficult time with emergence issues. Now, we're all pattern tiled above 70% calcium. Neil Kinsey thought a manganese shortage could be a cause of poor emergence in our tight 10 to 15 CEC clay soils. Uh, have you seen that to be the case? Yes, low manganese can absolutely impact emergence. Now, personally, I wouldn't call 10 to 15 CEC clay soils tight hardly ever unless I had a tremendous amount of magnesium in there. But Doug, if you want to send us your soil tests, we, we could certainly take a look at those. Uh, one last thing Doug said is, I'm going to prove your point on some stuff you guys talk about on the show. I compared soil tests to yield results. The only place I grew 300 bushel corn was where I had over 4% base saturation K and 80% calcium. Nothing else seemed to correlate. And thanks again. All right. Uh, thanks, Doug, for those questions. And by the way, Doug was from Illinois. Uh, next one here from Vicenzo asking about alfalfa. What herbicides can I use in alfalfa for broadleaves? All right. So we're going to seed a bunch of alfalfa on our farm this coming spring. We will put Eptam down at a half a gallon per acre. Eptam is outstanding for grass and broadleaves if you only use it about once every five or ten years. Um, and just to explain... There is a certain bacteria that will build up in the soil if you use Eptam or the old Eradicane, uh, same active ingredient, if you use them very often. But when you're only using them every once in a while, like Eptam, we haven't used Eptam or Eradicane in our farm in 25 years. So it's going to work fantastically well. It's going to do a great job on the broadleaves. Start with that. Okay, that's the best pre-emerge thing that, that you can use. That's the way to go. Now, post-emerge in alfalfa, they're just flat out or not many options for broadleaves. Unless, of course, you have Roundup. Well, the problem with Roundup anymore is it's not that great on some of the broadleaves we have in our area. So we have resistant water hemp. There's resistant palmer pigweed, resistant kochia, common ragweed, giant ragweed. I mean, there's several others where it's like, well, the Roundup isn't going to do you any good anyway. So the other options we've got, or conventional options, we would call them Pursuit and Raptor. They're basically about the same thing, but Pursuit and Raptor, they're ALS. So if you have ALS-resistant weeds, not going to kill those. The only other things are Buctrel 
and butyrac. Now, buckthrill is pretty good on kochia and good on lamb's quarters, cocklebur, sunflower, but it's not the best on the pigweed species. That's where the butyrac, that's old 2,4-DB, uh, that can help you. But the problem with butyrac and 2,4-DB, it's hard on the alfalfa. So you can only use an ounce or two of that. So a lot of times we'll take buckthrill at a pint, we'll throw in an ounce of butyrac and call her good. So what I'm telling you here is, we just don't have very good options. That means you want to do everything possible to raise a great alfalfa crop and choke out any broadleaves. So you start clean with that Eptam and get yourself some good residual. You make absolutely sure you have a fantastic fertility program and good drainage. And hopefully the alfalfa is going to keep a lot of the weeds out of your field. Otherwise, if the weeds start getting too thick, then you're kind of left with um, tearing up the stand after just a few years. All right, next one is, uh, let's see, I don't have a name on this, but just asking about our website, agphd.com, under our resources information, we have what we call our chemical component chart. And we just listed in Enlist Duo at 3.5 pints and put what was in it. Anyway, the question here is, well, on the Enlist Duo label or the Enlist Duo people like Corteva, they're telling me use 4.7 pints for the raise. Is there any reason why your recommendation is lower? Look, that is not our recommendation to use that rate. That is simply saying if you look at 3.5 pints, here's what that contains in terms of 2,4-D choline or Freelex and Durango DMA or glyphosate. So th that's all that's for. That's not a recommendation to use that particular rate. Sorry for the confusion on that. All right. Next one is from Michael. He says, I've got two manure samples I have sent you. I always hear you guys talk about salt index. Now, in both of these cases, uh, this is two different farmers, uh, they're wanting to put on 10 tons an acre on dry land ground going to Milo. We live in western Kansas and get about 17 inches of annual rainfall. I'm worried about the salt, especially with how little rainfall we get. Okay, so Michael, unless I'm missing something here, I don't see that there is a salt test in this manure analysis. So that's what I want to see, and, and that's something you can request out of your lab is say, look, I got to know how much salt is in here because I'm with you. If you don't know that, then, I mean, how can we even manage this? So I'll just tell you, we get our manure tested down at Midwest Labs. And right in the bottom of every test, they say right there, they want to see 500 pounds of salt per acre or less. And that's if we have good amount of rainfall. I don't remember what it is, 20, 25 inches of rain, something like that, or more. And less salt if you have less rain. So would I be concerned with your situation here? Yes, but by the same token, I want to see the analysis on, well, what do we really have in terms of salt per ton? And that would help us manage that a little bit better. So very often as farmers, we're thinking about nutrients and we think about the manure as either number one, we got to get rid of it, or number two, well, we want a certain amount of nitrogen or phosphorus out on our ground. But the first thing you should always look at is how much salt is already in my soil, how much salt and sodium, and how much salt and sodium am I willing to apply? Then let's start looking at, okay, how many nutrients do I actually need? So, yep, just get a different test and find out. And, and if you got more questions, let us know. All right, before we go, just want to say thanks to, to our production staff here. Thanks to our guests earlier in the show that called in. And thanks for all your questions. Uh, and also, thank you for listening. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.